Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Vossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming Michael Stein, a gentleman who's worked in independent film and has a huge interest in the topic and a lot of great insights into film in general. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Michael Stein. How are you doing? Good, sir. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. I am so glad to have you here. Normally, when I go ahead and start off, I like to give like a 10-second introduction of who the person is. But in your case, because of your background, I feel like I just want to say you have a particular history with the movie Boogie Nights and let you roll from there. In 1988, uh, my best friend, uh, I, when we first met, I had him cracking up. You know, I was taking him, uh, my girlfriend and his girlfriend, uh, they were sisters. And I drove him home one night and I had him in stitches. And uh, I was like a big, LA's biggest nightclub promoter at the time. And he wanted to do this short film. So a couple of days later, he calls me up and says, I, I want to do this short film and I want you to be in it. And I said, great, what's it about? I want something really, you know, I haven't acted yet. You know, I was 20 years old and I want something that's really going to be juicy. And he says, it's the rise and fall of a porno star and it's going to be like Spinal Tap. And I said, okay, uh, sure, let's do it. So uh, we did the Dirt Diggler story. I played Dirt Diggler. And uh, eight years later, uh, it was the movie Boogie Nights. And it had a lot of changes since the short film, which is like a spinal tap, moving into a feature length film, like, you know, um, uh, a feature length version of Spinal Tap, but the rise and fall of a porno star named Dirt Diggler. And then eventually it became Boogie Nights. So in in a roundabout, I mean, you could almost kind of compare it to the fact that, you know, there was a Seinfeld character, Kramer, but he was actually based on a completely different person and you, it was just, a, you are a lesser known evolution of that. Is that a correct thing to say? No, I, I uh, well, Dirt Diggler was Paul's brainchild. It was all, okay. he just thought of this character. He, it wasn't supposed to be John Holmes. It was just this character. He was, you know, we grew up in the San Fernando Valley and he wanted to do a story about the porno industry. And, and it, you know, first it, you know, was, he was 17, you know, and, and it was like a, some of it was immature, but you know, also, you know, genius. And it was a, it was a fictitious character, you know, but it was hard, you know, there were parallels, of course, you know, especially that came out in Boogie Nights that was parallels to John Holmes's life. And I'm looking at, you know, the kind of work you've done and I'm seeing this is a guy who knows what a passion project is all about, which is what you're telling me when you're 17 years old and you're, you're just getting out and you're thinking, can we actually do this? And back then, making an independent movie, making a, a small-time production was a huge deal. Well, this is actually, you know, the, the late 80s, and it was the VCR editing from, you know, VHS to VHS, you know, two, you know, decks. And it was as simple as that, with your TV plugged into two VHS, you know, and, and you just edit it, and you, you know, and <laughs> you don't care about music, right? So it put, you know, um, Barbara Streisand's uh, memories at the end of that you know, Paul did, and um, he entered it in the AFI award, and it was a very forgiving time, you know, but it was also, you know, a perfect time for that, you know, and, um, you know, in retrospect, at 17 years old, what he did, you know, uh, even though it's grainy, you could find it on, you know, online, but it was, it was genius. And I'm just thinking that you're saying it, it was a more forgiving time, but people today with all the tools they have available to them and all the, you can make a decent size independent film in an afternoon using your cell phone. 
and people just say, I don't know if I could do that, but you guys did it using, like you said, two VCRs. Well, he did. He directed it. Um, I did any acting that he wanted me to do because I was willing to do anything. As you know, to me, I was I did stand up comedy before that. I started when I was nineteen, so I was like, you know, we'll just do anything, you know. But as far as you know, what I say forgiving is that when you do, you know, something back then, it was hard because you had to edit on celluloid, and people were still even splicing, or they were working on a toaster editor, you know, to to edit. And you had to translate. It was very hard to do editing. So when I say it was forgiving, you know, now the technology, there's so much competition and there's so many people submitting to film festivals. So it's, you know, the, the heyday of late eighties, early nineties, people getting movie deals. Cause I ran that gamut myself to really go. And I did a, an award-winning short film, but as the years go on, it gets more competitive. And you're seeing that competition with your later work. Are you, just feeling like the the independent film industry has just changed to the point where we've almost crossed Rubicon. We can't get the good stuff anymore. You know that that would sound like I'm an old fart saying you can't get the good stuff anymore. I'm an old <laughs> fart. It's okay. <laughs> but I would I would say this. I think there's great work out there. I think it's amazing. But I think that it's a little bit more like it was the Wild West. Like the internet was young in the in the late '90s. You know, you started a dot com business, which I did. And whenever you're first to pass, like let's say podcasting, John Lee Dumas, you know, right? He starts in 2013 and it's more forgiving. The, the way things, the way the industry was back then, the way you were able to get a movie deal, Sean segued in from, uh, uh, Paul segued in from that to do a short film, a dramatic short film also in 93. It was able to get some money from Reicher to do Hard Eight. And then right around that time, there was enough spark there to have New Line Cinema read a script that was 200, it was like, it was well over 120 pages. Now everything's got to be between 90 and 120 pages. You got to make sure that, you know, you're all the, save the cat, you know, plot points are in place. You know, John Chuby's story structure has got a scientific, unless something's really extraordinary about it. It's, you know, it's really hard to get the property made. And it's, I see on the other end, it's like, I, don't, I love Netflix and I hate it at the same time because it's given life to all these independent film productions. And at the same time, it's almost mechanized them to there's no charm anymore. Well, that's an interesting question because there's two schools. Like I'm, I'm the old school guy. It's like, I, I talk about movies like, you know, like certain guys are talking about baseball. You're right. So you talk yeah. about who played second base for the Dodgers in 1978. It was uh, uh, Davey Lopes. So, I mean, but you know, you would also talk about that in films. Now with Netflix, you can't talk about it that way because there's so much content, which is cool because it is, you're able to get something made or you make something, but it's, it's, uh, it's hard to make, uh, you know, get a really substantial career out of that. I have a friend, Steve Oriel. He just did a, a documentary called LA originals. It got bought by Netflix. I don't know. It's a great documentary on cartoon, the great tattoo artist in LA. And people should see it. It's a great documentary, but it's like, he, you know, it really, you don't get a lot of money for that. It's hard to sustain. It's hard to segue into a film career from that great work. So there's a lot of parody, like, but I wouldn't even, it's like, it's hard to like, you know, unless you were had, you had that window, you know, uh, you know, Rodriguez, Tarantino, Paul, Thomas Anderson, you know, these guys have, you know, we're, I almost don't see many auteurs getting that household name anymore because of the kind of parody that's going on right now. 
that's that's a really good observation. Uh, just the fact that you're not getting the auteur, you're not getting the name out there, because uh, that's that's what I'm just. I feel like is is slipping away. Is that you're? We see these movies come up and they're Netflix premiere. I don't want to pick on Netflix, but they're they're just a really good whipping boy right now, uh, and they. <laughs> They have movies that come up and those movies are there for a couple of months, then they're gone. And it's almost like they had no lasting impact. We're getting back to the movies being disposable concept from the 1910s. Oh my God. That is a great observation because I, I was just, first of all, I start watching these Netflix things. Some of those Netflix, Netflix shows are awesome. Like stranger things. And I, I don't want to like, you know, but there's so many great, you know, I like Bubblegum. I can watch Fellini movie. But the thing is that there's so much great content on Netflix and Prime and, and, all, and, and Hulu and everything. But the, the thing is, is that being that guy, that baseball player guy that likes to get together with other guys and play the game and talk about which movie, because movies were like, it was like playing cards. And now that kind, that kind of romance is gone because like you could shoot up like, all the films that John Williams like composed and like, you know, Vern who, you know, edited Jaws. And then, you know, these were like, these are like, you know, Film nerds, you know, got to talk about, you know, the pantheons of film. And now that's kind of diluted. And the content, there is great content on Netflix. It's great shows. But you lose that, that game, that part of that nostalgia. It's kind of slipping away a little bit or a lot because it's, there's so much parody. But, and you can't find that great auteur or you can't see great steady careers made like there used to be. I, yeah, I, I'd agree. And you can see people like you can find an early Spielberg movie where he was just getting started out and you can compare it to what went on later. And a lot of times you'll have a, either a laser disc or a tape or something to actually sit down and make that comparison. And now <laughs> I don't want to say what we have is, is not good because it is, it's fantastic. Just but different. if you don't give people, if you don't give artists the chance to grow, what are we going to get? Right. And, and who knows, maybe it will find itself and they'll find an avenue on great auteurs to come out of this. But I don't see, you know, who, who's right now, which auteur is a household name that's consistently got the green light or has the ability to have financial companies come in. And, you know, there's a great auteur out there right now. Um, and his name is Jim Cummings. And he did a, Thunder, a movie called Thunder Road a couple of years back. Uh, and it's a great independent film. And he did the old route, you know? He made the movie. It got accepted to Cannes, did really well. I even spoke French. He's a great front man. But he's not, I mean, in the 1990s, he would have been an auteur. He would have been great. I mean, he rocked, he would have hit a grand slam. Now, the guy's still, you know, struggling. It's really hard. And I, it, that drives me crazy because this guy's got the stuff and he's great. So long as we're talking about the quote-unquote good old days, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the actual film festival scene itself? The film scene? Yeah, the film festival scene. Oh, God. Well, in the, in the 90s, it's, that's where, like, guys went. It was be, just before the internet, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, Miramax and, and New Line Cinema and Reicher and all these, you know, companies would come out, and they're like, I want to find somebody talented. I want to find somebody at great value, somebody that I can make a relationship with, you know? So when I, you know, made, I made a short award-winning short film uh, that won the two biggest short film festivals in 1998. 
I feel like I've almost missed that way, but I was, I had meetings with everybody in Hollywood to make one of my screenplays, but you go through, you know, in the late nineties, things are, that's when the, you know, I'm not saying that that's the excuse. I mean, it's also no matter what time throughout history, it's hard to get a movie made period. But the, the people now with, you know, you get people submitting their screenplays online. You have, you know, people aren't going to the festivals as much. They're not getting the opportunity. They're not, you know, getting the opportunity. So there's so much content. There's so much to get, to get the attention and the eyeballs on these guys. You know, it's, it's different. And in the nineties, you know, you'd have these A&R, so to speak, you know, the, 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 the development guys, you know, from, they would go there, they wouldn't even work, develop you with it as a director. Now they don't need that. It's like, look, you know, the, the American film market is like the FM is like, just filled with like, it's more of like the, the hot girl that you, you, it's like, look, we just want it all buttoned up, wrapped up, ready to go. And if we like it, this is what you're going to get. And, you know, maybe you'll do something later on. There's the relationships are not deep anymore either. That's the difference between back then and now. And you can draw an easy parallel between that and the fact that they're not investing in, you know, a person to make five, six movies for one studio, for one distribution channel. They're just looking to pick up one property, sell it and go on to the next one. Right. And even like Tarantino, who I love, I think he's awesome. You know, he could throw in a, you know, crazy eight and somebody might like crazy eight, but you could throw in a weaker film as opposed to like a Pulp Fiction or, you know, Kill Bills or whatever, you know, you could throw in something a little weaker and it's going to be forgiving because you that auteur had that opportunity to get that following, to make a brand, you know? And that's why we just interviewed a, a mutual with Carl Gottlieb, right? So he's talking about how, you know, Spielberg, when he first saw his book Jaws and he threw it across the, his Jaws log, that was Carl Gottlieb's book about the movie. He threw it across the room because he... In, in Carl Gottlieb's mind, it was, it was Spielberg, you know, these directors, and even though he's from the seventies and, you know, and he's, they felt like they're, it's been around for a long time. You got to protect your brand because it's so hard to get that. It's very, it's the Rosetta stone, you know, more people are winning the lottery, becoming millionaires than uh, directors or auteurs are making a career, a household name career for themselves. Indeed. And, you know, talking about making the, the career, making the, building the brand. I, I will often tell people, you know, people ask if I like Tim Burton and I'm like, well, I, I like him well enough. I've a lot of his movies I've watched and had a good time, but I don't consider myself a core Tim Burton fan because the movies he makes, I don't get as passionate as a lot of the other fans do. But one of my favorite movies of all time is a Tim Burton movie. And it is one of the least Tim Burton movies ever made. It's big fish. <sighs> Great movie. It is. And kids can watch it too, but it's also like, it's not just, it's, it's a grown up film. It's made, it's a great film. It's a great film. It's a fantastic film on so many levels. It is one, I would actually call it a perfect movie. Um, but you look at it and it's like, this doesn't feel like a Tim Burton movie. You, you're surprised to find his name in the credits. And it's like, but that's the freedom author, uh, author should have once they get, once they earn their stripes. Right. You know, I'm a fatalist, you know, it's like should or could it's like, you know, it's like there's opportunity and it's just, there's reality. And it's like things were this way. Now they're this way and adapt or die, I guess. I don't know which way it's going to go. You know, I would, I'd love to pontificate and say that, Oh, it's going to masticize into this, but don't know, but definitely the landscape, you know, as far as if you're talking about the nineties, how it is now, 
and that where we're going to go between all the content and the movies, you know, that are going through Netflix and Prime, and there's nothing wrong. But what you and I are probably missing is the nostalgia of a movie and how big it was. And Stranger Things was big, you know, remember like in 4th of July came you know, a year and a half ago and it was like a big event. And sometimes that happens, but um, though that I don't see the filmmakers coming out of that, you know, I mean, what are the Duffer brothers going to do after Stranger Things? Are they going to make big movies? Are they going to have that, that lifelong career? Don't know. Doesn't, I don't see that happening yet. No. And we've gotten to the point and for the longest time, I was really in favor of not making a big distinction between movies and TV, because in my opinion, quality is quality. And with, you know, the streaming networks, really, there isn't that much difference anymore. And now I'm looking at this saying, are we missing what you're talking about, where a movie is an event, a movie is a, a, a treasure, a, an accomplishment? And I, I, I have to start second guessing how I felt about some things. That's right. You know, and because there's like small movies, there's so much content. So like, you know, and you follow, used to follow like, let's say Nicholson's career and you say five easy pieces and you think about that and you're like, okay, I got visions in my head. You know, I went, I know what year that was, you know, and the style and you could, you, you know, or, or you say giant, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, that's James Dean and it's 1956, you know, you get the, you got the vision in your head. He's sitting on that carriage and he's got his boots up in the house in the background. And you, you have these iconic pictures in your head that I don't know if that's happening now. I watched something amazing on prime a couple of weeks ago. And I was just thinking about this the other day, what you're talking about. And I was like, I forgot what the title was. Mm -hmm. don't forget the titles of great movies because it's like it's like that's what came out that season you know who won the super bowl that year right you know who mm -hmm. won the academy award that year not that the academy awards are a bench but you but there was a there was a certain kind of formality to it that you you know and the pantheons of the art of filmmaking that is where's it gonna go now because of this transmogrification of what's happening and it's like one example i can think of cloud atlas was a movie from about seven eight years ago that got very mixed reviews. I personally liked it a lot, but I came out of that and I was like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. It was an amazing experience. I've never had it before. I don't think I'll ever have it again. And that's so rare to get now when everything is a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, the genre movies have taken over to where the unique experiences are very hard to find. Now, what was Cloud Atlas? Cloud Atlas was a generational epic. Um, it, there was some sci-fi elements to it, but basically you were seeing several different stories from several different lifetimes that mysteriously interconnected with each other. And was it a film or was it like a, a Netflix or a Prime or something? No, it was a film. Okay. And who, is, who made it? Do you know? Uh, uh, Tom Hanks was in it. I don't know if he directed it or not. Uh, Halle Berry was in it. Um, trying to think. It's, it's been a bit since I've seen it, but go yeah, ahead. You know, it's, it's funny. What, it came out a year, year ago, year and a half ago? No, this was like eight years ago. Okay, eight years ago. You know, well, I have no excuse for that because I started about a couple of years ago watching the Netflixes and the Primes. You know, your wife says you want to watch something. And my battle is always to watch a film. And now my fear as, as like a trading card kind of guy with, with movies, my fear is, is that I'm diluting all the time to watch those as opposed to staying up on the hobby or the, you know, the, the, the lifestyle of learning and knowing films. Does that make, make sense? Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Let me ask you this, because I've wondered about this, because um, I'm the guy, I, I have my trading cards here, and I have like the shelf of shame, the movies I've bought, 
knowing they're great movies and it's like i will get to those at some point when i when i can sit down with the beverage and know that the phone is off and and i really don't get to do that but do you get to the point where you watch so many movies knowing they're quality movies and you almost get numb to the experience no okay good good (laughs) i want i mean to me it's it's always like you know like first like i'm talking to you today i'm enjoying this conversation i'm glad i talked i i I was the nightclub promoter for seven years i was a stand-up comedian you know i did film you know i i'm i talk to people i'm doing that the podcast now i talk to people i never get bored of it i see a good movie i never get it's just as good as the first time you know there's a billboard behind me the first movie i ever saw in a movie theater my mm-hmm. mom took me to, she didn't know what it was. She took me to see Soylent Green. I was six years old. Not the best movie to see when you're six years old. No, I would think not. No, so, but the, the thing is, is that I, uh, this fascination of like, it doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. It could be Jerry Lewis is cracking up, which is not a good movie. You know, it could be, you know, uh, eight and a half, or it could be, you know, Godfather one or two, or it doesn't matter. You know, it's a, if it's, if there's even a scene in it, you know, that's good, then that was worth seeing the movie, you know, because then you get the actor, you know, showed you something great in that. Or the cinematographer, you know, like, you know, all of Bush Cassidy is not a work of art, but, but the famous Iris, you know, for the first time that he uses that they talk about in the documentary Visions of Light that done on, docu- on, on DPs. Those are, those are certain things that you think about, you know, and, and just little moments, to, it's like, it's it's entertaining to me. It's it's exciting still. So I don't I don't uh, never get numb of movies. I think uh, that or or a good comedian. I don't get I don't get numb of those guys either. I, that would have literally been my next question: is to do you get numb with? Because I I wonder if we're just getting so much content that some people are just using it as background noise, and the the background noise element is something that concerns me more than anything else we've talked about so far. You know what? That's a see. That's a that's a big thing in society right now. There is so much background noise because you have so much content and so much, you know, the stuff that, you know, I had a Holocaust survivor on my podcast, the, you know, last week, you know, and I, and I, and I was like, oh my God, you know, this is like, this is really important, you know, to me, I'm a Jewish guy, you know, and I was like, you know, and, and it did well, you know, but I was thinking there's a, there's a lot of content out there. You just, you just, you know, you could watch it on your toilet and your cell phone, you know, you know, so you're and people are just flipping through. It's like, oh yeah, look at that. A guy just jumped off one building and landed on another building. And so where that would become viral, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago. So what, where does that lead us? I look, you know what, it's the world society. It's just going to have to be more extraordinary things or new things are going to have to, you know, come into society for us to pique our interest. Indeed. Um, and again, I'm not against the mobility factor because the cell phones are a great thing. And people years ago would have been down on people watching movies on their computer. That that was a taboo thing for a while. And yet some of my greatest movie experiences were stranded in a hotel room with my laptop on the desk and a, t- a pizza. I mean, sometimes you can just make your experience. It's, the tools aren't always the issue when you love film. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know what? It's it's to me, it's about it's it's about. I guess it, it'll be interesting because when there's a new like we're all wait, uh, you know, I'm waiting for because I have two young daughters. I'm waiting for Stranger Things to come out, and that's not something I would never see. I watch some. I watch the series. This is embarrassing to admit, but this is the stuff you want to hear. There's something called The Outlander. There's a show on uh, Prime, mm-hmm. and they're like six seasons. It's, it's from a novel. 
it's, it, I, my wife's like, let's watch this. I said, I don't want to watch it. Let's start watching it. So let's just watch a movie. It's always the same thing. I always want to watch a movie. But these shows are turning out to be, you know, there's like great, great things in there. You know, it's great writing, direction, and, and cinematography, and acting. So I'm watching this thing, and I was like, it starts off like, this is like a woman's novel. This is like one of those, you know, like you know, cheap novels, you know, kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but the acting was great. The cinematography was great. You know, the everything, lighting, everything what they, they were doing was executing was so good. And the story, the writing was like, oh, this is, it caught me. And I was like, God darn it. I'm like stuck now in this, this thing. It was thoroughly entertaining. So um, it's thoroughly enjoyable that that got me, you know, but the old part of me is uh, the nostalgia of what you're talking about. Where do movies, because it seems like you're a movie guy also. <laughs> Where's it going to go? Where is it? Is it going to people, I guess maybe a generation before us, they, they, they were worried about, you know, movies not being in theaters, you know? Uh, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of worried about that too. You know, I'm worried about the nostalgia of movies. The art form is changing so much where I think it like, it won't be as important. It won't be as significant as it, as it, as it was. Or I think, I think we're already hitting that. And, and like I said before, I, there was this time when I used to argue that movies and TV were just different sides of the same coin. You couldn't say one was empirically better than the other. It's just what format told the story best. And, and you were saying with Outlander, when, when it's a skill to make, it gets to the point where you're using movie quality, editing, acting, writing, directing. Yeah, I, it, but <laughs> I feel like the movie aside, the art aside, I think our culture needs the draw of the movie. I think we need a place to take a date, a place to celebrate a, a promotion, a place to go when you're, you finish your last day of school. We need that experience of this is something worth leaving the house for. Yeah, you know what? Maybe if more people keep on talking about it and executives start realizing there's a demand for it and it's all about, you know, green, you know, it's all about what will generate money. If it becomes a cause celeb, if it becomes more of a mission in more circles and people start saying, look, we want to have, you know, great auteurs. We don't want to lose that. We want to have great, you know, storytellers that have, that are kind of have that structure, that, that heroic, you know, we don't want to lose um, our film heroes. You know, there's a big, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's, there's a backlash a little bit because people are tired of, you know, Hollywood and the snootiness and the elitism and all that. But I definitely think that hopefully, you know, they preserve, and I don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully they preserve that nostalgia of Hollywood. So when, you know, it's just not Quentin Tino, Tarantino's 10th film and that's it. Like which other big movie events from a big auteur is going to come out, a big storyteller? Because can you name one in the past five years or 10 years that have arisen that's a really big name? Who would you say is the biggest auteur name in the past 10 years? I couldn't give you one. Everybody I know made their name 20, 30, even 40 years ago. That's right. I mean, that's why we come back to this independent filmmaker, Jim Cummings, who's just like, he's done a film that should have launched his career, Thunder Road, and I suggest seeing it. And um, it, that's the kind of guy that should be a hero, film hero, in my opinion. But it's not happening. And it's just, just, just uh, maybe it will, but it's not, <laughs> not to the extent it would back in the 90s when you want to talk about 90s movies. Mm -hmm. And it, I guess we could just start it, leave it here where, you know, we have this, this weird par paradox where, 
people are consuming content at a faster rate than ever, and yet people can't actually, the authors and artists can't actually, I keep saying author when I mean author, I'm sorry. Um, I, they can't actually make a name for themselves and become known for giving the people what they want. Right. You know, and that, and that, you know, when reality shows first started, I thought this is ridiculous. I mean, how, and you know, how are they're, they're, surviving they're they're prospering you know and these there's con this content is getting sold and massive amount of people want to see this so massive amount of people want to see all kinds of different content now and it's gonna you know there's only a certain amount of eyeballs and time so you know where does that leave you know the great you know art of, of filmmaking and i i don't i don't have the i i don't see i don't see uh i see it changing to where um, if you were, you know, Orwellian about it, if you were to, you know, see something in about, you know, making a movie in, you know, it'd be 30 years from now and then you got the typical, you know, cliche flying cars going around and everybody's attention span is just, you know, it's bad now, but it's just like, you know, there's no deep thinking. It's just all like, so, you know, superficial, you know, fast paced, you know, just garbage, you know? And, and it's like, what's that movie where, um, uh, President's a moron uh, with uh, Dave Chappelle. Oh, oh, give me a minute here. Um, uh, idiocracy? Idiocracy, yeah. And the president's a moron. I mean, that's where we're headed. You know, it's like if, it, if we don't have really great, you know, content and the stuff that is really great, you know, it's usually sleepy. And the only time you hear about it is when, you know, it's nominated for Academy Award and film studios put money behind it because they want to win the Academy Award so they can, you know, have a little feather in their cap, you know. It's a, it's a tough gig. It's interesting where it's going though. And Michael, I'll tell you what, I, I got to start wrapping this up, but what I, what you're talking about where we actually have something where we give deep thought to it, we have a movie that means something to us. I, that's why I appreciate the podcast format. That's why I appreciate being able to talk to you right now. I'm not slowing it down for anybody. I'm not, you know, dumbing it down for anybody who might not be up on all this stuff. We can just talk movie fan to movie fan. And, you know, this might inspire somebody to check out these movies, check out some other works. And I think that's a great thing. And I, maybe if some of these concepts were applied elsewhere, we might make some progress. Who knows? Maybe, or, or <laughs> this is just a joke, half joke, but fatalistic, you know, it's like, who knows, maybe we'll be going down in the dust, you know, and, and we're like just two, you know, podcasters talking about, you know, the ways that, you know, Hollywood was. And it's like, it's like a dark, you know, you know, like a distinct thing, but I don't know on the bright side, you know, there, there's always a thirst for great art and great cinema. So, you know, you'll probably see it kind of, you know, uh, like a pendulum equal itself out to where, you know, it's going to swing one way and then people are going to, you know, when they get tired of eating carbs, they want protein. And when they want protein, they want carbs. So it'll probably swing, it'll swing back and find its, find its righteous home. Well, you might have just made my day. If 400 years from now, some archaeologist is digging through the rubble and it was my house, and they find this dusty USB drive with me telling about the way Hollywood used to be in those damn kitchens stay off my lawn, that's going to be all right. I'm okay with that, if that's right, my was legacy. That, was that a Gran Torino reference? Maybe halfway. Uh, okay. Those damn kids that stay off my lawn? I think that's just a universal old man joke. Okay, good. You know, yeah. Okay, Michael. I want to thank you so much for being here and I want to give people a chance to follow your misadventures on the internet. So where can they keep tabs on you? They can go to my new podcast, longshotleaders.com. 
And uh, we tell the story of underdogs who have found success there. So if you uh, have a good long shot story, you can reach out to me and um, possibly be on the podcast and we'll talk about it then. Okay. Michael, thanks so much. And I hope to talk to you soon. Pleasure. Likewise. I would like to thank Michael for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, where we try to reach out to new audience members, but that takes less than five minutes of your time and costs you nothing, I want to talk about sharing the show with people that you think might like it. The best way to do that is to hit the share button on your mobile device or to send a link to one of the websites that host the show, like my website, aaronbossig.com, or wherever you might have found the show. But I'll tell you what, you can also just download the MP3 file and send it to somebody in an email or through Facebook. If you want to do that, that is fine by me. Some podcasters might have a problem with that because they think, It cuts down on their download numbers. I don't care. I am not in the business of telling you how to view my show. I want you to get it and send it to other people in whatever manner you want to do that. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.